everybody. Welcome once again to the Ripples in Space podcast. We're here for episode eight, which is crazy. Very exciting. Indeed, indeed. Um, another crazy thing that happened, uh, I'm sure you're all aware, is the first teaser for Star Wars dropped. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I am both emotionally distraught and excited. I mean, if it says Star Wars, I'll go see it, but I don't know, man. They've, they've, they've abused us a little too much with these new ones. However, you gotta give them the fact that you get, like, that point one clip of Carrie Fisher, and it's like, ah! <laughs> yes, that was definitely I'm very... I'm gonna go see it for her. I'm gonna see it for her, dang it! Very heart-stringy. Pulling. Anyway, um, thank you all for joining us again for another fun-filled Sunday with some flash fiction. This week we have Asteria by David Collins. David is from Northwest England, and so that's pretty exciting that we've got uh, fans of Ripples in Space all around the world. So thank you for everyone for listening. You guys are awesome. I will introduce the piece with a brief bio on David, and then Kate here will read it. And after that, we'll talk a little bit about the piece and what's coming up next. So without further ado, here is Asteria. David Collins is author of the upcoming science fiction novel Agents of Time, the young adult fantasy novel Dragon Planet, and a fantasy short story due for Amazon Kindle release Night of the Flame. Living in northwest England with his wife and five children, David studied a variety of different subjects and worked in a number of different industries before finally discovering his love of writing in 2015. He can be found at davidcollinsauthor.com and on Twitter using at djcollins82. Asteria by David Collins I watched my viewing screen as the earth slipped away into the darkness. Living among the stars was now more than just a dream, even though that dream was now darkened with a shadow of desperation. One thousand of us workers and two hundred and thirty-four of the elite, Western Alliance leaders and some of the richest people on the earth, were to be the very first off-earth colonists. The butterflies in my stomach fluttered intensely as the shuttle's anti-gravity drive suddenly pulled the craft forward at a high rate of speed as we raced towards Asteria, man's first lunar city. There was no welcoming party awaiting us, just an empty landing port and an automated welcome message that was barely audible above the voices of the passengers as they headed to the waiting train. The governments of the world certainly played their part in the continuous war that ravaged the planet, but catastrophic social breakdown was pandemic, and the wars continued on in every town, in every street, neighbor against neighbor, town against town, and country against country, all in the name of survival. The population had grown exponentially, and the Earth's resources dwindled even faster. Rising temperatures, crop failures, and water shortages were just the beginning. An influx of new viruses and some ancient and dormant ones began to spread. Asteria was the brainchild of the Western Alliance, a world government that formed in the wake of the collapsed and collapsing governments everywhere. The global effort to colonize the moon was supposed to unite the people, but instead it drove them further apart and closer to annihilation. The vast domed city should have been home to millions of Earth's citizens, but for now it was the largest panic room ever built, 
a safe haven for the leaders and elitists of the Western Alliance. Asteria was our workhouse, and we slaved away each day for our take-home pay of food and water. The transport shuttle made only a couple of trips each day, ferrying those who had the means to secure a place in the panic room. Survival now was a luxury few could afford. I had heard that the latest shuttle arrival had brought the former governor of New York State. Rumor had it that he had bought his place here with half a million gallons of clean water that he skimmed from the reservoirs before they had completely run dry. The large tanks that stood outside the transport hangar shed truth on those rumors. I wondered how many lives were lost without that water. I tried not to think about it too much, but the list of rich people with questionable morals seemed to be growing larger every day, and the absence of any real refugees had my mind wondering if any would ever come. My role as a bot coder and repair tech would have been interesting under different circumstances. Instead, most of my thoughts were occupied with a guilt that would never leave, being safe inside this bubble when so many were suffering back home. The guilt weighed on all the workforce. Growing up, I had seen the decline of the human spirit, the horror of death and desperation, and the world spiraling out of control, Fields which were once filled with crops lay dry and barren. Lakes and reservoirs were nothing more than empty craters. There was no escaping the hunger and thirst, and the smell of death lingered in the air everywhere you turned. Yet I never lost hope. Now, however, I feel that the hope was misplaced in my trust of the government and their plans to save the world. The workers' quarters took up only five of the one hundred floors inside the Cellini high-rise, the small apartments were a welcome upgrade from the overcrowded military base, where the project first began on some remote island in the Atlantic. From my balcony on the 52nd floor, I can make out the multitude of builder bots in the distance as they sculpted the lunar landscape with tunnels and buildings ready for the next dome extension. My eyes drift up to the ever-present blue sphere I once called home, and I struggle to hold back the tears as pink flashes lit up the skies. Every flash was that of a plasma bomb detonation. Hundreds would die with each and every one. The flashes never stopped, not for a second. Carla? Carla, are you there? Todd's voice shouted through my earpiece. I wiped my eyes and took a deep, long breath to unclench my throat. <sighs> yeah, I'm here. What's up, Todd? I croaked. You okay, Carla? You sound a bit rough. You caught me sleeping. What do you want? I wouldn't mind a few more hours. Uh, I can't find Jerry. What do you mean you can't find him? Go look for him. He's gone offline. Shut down completely. No GPS, no cam, nothing. What did you do to him? Nothing, honest. You know I can't drive the rover, and Brian is not quite fit enough to drive tonight. Okay, you mean he got his hands on the whiskey again? Right, I'll be there in ten. Be ready to go. I did not wait for a reply. I turned the radio off, got my boots back on, and tried to put the haunting pink flashes out of my mind. The rover had its own gravity generator, enabling me to drive it like I was on Earth's gravity. It was a good job, too, as flying off into space at the slightest bump was not very appealing, and it meant we could travel a lot faster, <laughs> at the expense of Todd's nerves. He didn't much like it when I was in the driving seat. 
There was only a handful of bots that we had named, Jerry being my favorite. He often suffered minor glitches and was the most clumsy of the lot. We were able to pick up his trail quite easily due to the unique scars on his tracks looking like a smiley face. He had been a busy boy, though, and it took us over an hour to get to him. It was fairly obvious that he was dead as a doornail. Maybe a faulty fuel cell was to blame. The mystery of his demise was overshadowed by the footprints nearby. A few footprints that seemingly led nowhere. There should not be anyone out here, let alone anyone with a vehicle. There were no rover or robot tracks, just footprints in the dirt. I cautiously walked to the footprints and noticed a faint, straight line in the dirt. A section of the floor suddenly swung up like a giant trap door, and out stepped a tall man sporting an old NASA-era spacesuit and a plasma gun. We made our way down the metal stairs of the subterranean building with a gun trained on us by our new host. Each level we passed had biohazard warnings on the door. We were led into a small office and ordered to remove our helmets as we were met by a young American man with a seemingly permanent smile. I did not recognize the flag which was pinned to the wall behind him, a pale blue background with a small yellow cross in the middle. "'Who are you and what the hell is this place?' I demanded. "'Well, you probably know by now that there are no more normal citizens coming to the lunar surface.' "'Not yet, no. We need to finish,' I began my reply. "'Don't be so naive,' he barked, his smile disappearing. "'Nobody else is coming. "'They choreograph the demise of the planet, "'the war, the weather, the crops, the viruses. "'Everything that has happened in the past five years "'has been the coordinated efforts of the Western Alliance.' "'What are you talking about? "'Asteria was their plan to save us all.' They created the crop factories and the water production facilities. And what do you think this place is, huh? It was their bio-warfare lab. Where do you think all those viruses kept coming from? And how many of their crop and water systems actually produce enough? It's all BS. We have all the proof you could ever want right here in this building, he said. And who are you? What are you doing in this building? This building is pre-Asteria. Built years before the first bots got here, when the Western Alliance first formed. Now that all the Western Alliance and their rich friends are here, means that they are going to speed up the cull, finish off the humans that remain, or at least 99% of them. We're going to put a stop to it and take Asteria back for the people. I stood up, no longer concerned that the gun was still aimed in our direction. I slowly walked around the office, taking in the information that was scattered everywhere on screens, written and pinned on the walls, blueprints of hysteria, and piles of paperwork. How many people are in your little rebel group? I asked. Seventy-four, including myself. I turned to Todd, who seemed a little less shocked at the whole wiping humans off the planet strategy. By the sheepish look on his face, he had possibly heard rumors of such things. I turned back to the smiley American. Show me, I demanded. The next hour or so was spent looking at reports, memos, emails, and military plans. All of them were either procured from spies in the WA or by hacking their computers. Every piece of evidence was not shy of spelling out what it was. A plan to wipe the planet clean and start again.
Todd finally appeared shocked at the information set out before us. What do you say, Todd? Do we make it 76? Damn right we do. The night ended with us dumping Jerry and the rover in a crater many miles away and hitching a lift off our no-longer gun-toting friend. On the ride back to the bunker, I looked up at the blue planet above us and its pink-flashing sky. Tears came once more, but they were tears of rage at the government's disgusting plan and guilt over the part I had played in helping them achieve it, however unknowingly. I vowed there and then to make it right, to take down this government and give the people of Earth what they have been promised, an end to the suffering and a home among the stars. that was Asteria. Thank you, David, for that really awesome piece. I think one thing that I really liked about this story was uh, the guy at the end with the, the NASA spacesuit. I'm thinking if this is a futuristic world, it's ex- it's amazing how the old NASA suits have still survived. And like, who is this guy? How did he get all this information? How does he know that the government is trying to wipe out humanity on the Earth to start over? I just think it was really cool. Uh, yeah, I immediately, when the NASA thing popped up, was thinking like a, a blast from the past type thing. Like there's been this guy living on the moon this whole time and he's like, whoa, what are these people doing? What's happening? But then he turned out to know what was going on and what's happening. So at first I was like, whoa, has this guy been living like in the bunker for the last 10 years? Um, that being said, I do believe there's a longer version of this story on David's website. I believe so, yes. I think he trimmed it for this podcast, but if you want to read more, you should go check out his website. DavidCollinsAuthor.com um, And what does... You looked up Asteria. What does that mean again? It's a Greek word? It's a Greek word. Uh, in Greek mythology... Asteria was the titan goddess of nocturnal oracles and falling stars. So it has a bit of a uh, a tie into the to the heavens, to the to to space and such, which is fun. I always like those little little ha. What are they called? Mm. Homages. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another fun part about this story is the uh, the robot, Jerry. Um, I, I want to know more about Jerry. Like <laughs> I became intrinsically attached to Jerry, and then Jerry gets dumped in a crater, and I'm like, well, what? And the thing is, we don't even actually meet Jerry. We just know about him through mentioning. We never actually get to hear him talk, because when they find him, he's already dead. <laughs> so that being said, I, I do believe there needs to be a sequel called The Saga of Jerry. <laughs> um, and I look forward to reading it. There you go, David. You have a writing prompt. <laughs> Anyway, um, if you are tuning in for the first time and you like to write science fiction, flash fiction, really any kind of fiction, though we do really love science fiction, um, you should send it to us. Uh, We are available on Submittable. We have three writing categories. Submission periods. Mm, uh, Submission portals. portals. Good word. Uh, The first one is our... Um, spring 2019 selections and those go up on our website they're longer stories second one is 
Ripples in Space podcast, which is what you're listening to right now. So those stories we do on the podcast. And the third one is is almost ready to be launched. We've been talking about it for a while now, and it's it's almost there, but it's called Unending Tales from the Void, so stay tuned. That'll be another podcast format thing, and it will hopefully evolve into something really cool. We'll see what happens. And uh, you can always check out our website at ripplesinspace.com to see more about us and what Ripples in Space is about. And you can check us out on social media on Facebook and Instagram. And now we have a Twitter page, guys. So you can check us out there. Uh, sometimes we post some fun questions, sometimes some uh, funny picture or two. And uh, just if you have any inspiration of any kind, you should totally check us out. And we hope to hear or read one of your stories. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny that we have a Twitter because I think it was like two podcasts ago that I said we won't have a Twitter for like 10 years or something. Or at least another year, yeah. Or a decade. Oh, no, no, you said until we had another blood moon. Yes, so, uh, you know, sorry about that. I apparently lied because no blood moon and we have or a Twitter. Maybe, or maybe somehow we got vaulted into the future. No. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what happened. Creativity, come on! <laughs> anyway, uh, all three of those... Uh, platforms we are luckily enough ripples in space no one else had that name yet so you know very exciting uh so yeah we will see you all next week uh take care and cheers from the void bye